Hello, hello. Welcome to Mass Struggle. Today's episode is on an article titled On Mistaken Ideas in the Party. And it's a surprise episode for me because yesterday I was just kind of busy doing stuff at work and um, I had a lower load for the day and I just whipped up this article, started decided to read it, and then I was like, dang, I'm going to make a reflection on this. And now we're here. Uh, Marxists.org has a little introductory blurb about this article for some context, and it mentions that the Chinese army was created in 1927 during the Nanqing Uprising, and this article, produced two years later in December of 1929 by Mao for the Ninth Party Congress of the Fourth Army of the Red Army, is a summing up of their experience and mistaken ideas in practice. So, 20 years before victory over the nationalists in 1949. Now, I think this article is interesting for both its particular and general lessons that I've generated from a critical reading of the text. It's not just the numerous particular insights that are helpful, but Mao's application of revolutionary science demonstrates for us truths and insights that I think can be applied uh, in our particular context here in the U.S. as well. My plan is to identify and think through some of the more general insights that come to mind from my engagement with this article, and then I'll dive into just a few of the particular issues and problems the party's resolution directly addresses that also speak to our present situation here um, in the U.S. All right, as always, Links in the show notes, and I recommend reading and discussing this text with comrades to get the most out of it. But before I get started, I just wanted to mention that I'm having a lot of fun with this, and um, I hope you are enjoying and finding meaningful some of these episodes too. Podcasts are not to replace the work of the organization or working group, and education is best produced by an organization in practice, not an individual. But I personally see this less as a means of producing theory for the Maoist movement in the U.S., of course, <laughs> and more as a means of just dumping my thoughts and analysis as I study along and experiment with mass work. So thanks for tuning in and sharing episodes with comrades. Um, I'm always open to criticism or questions or suggestions through my email, Instagram, Twitter, or Patreon that has free resources for everyone there. And with that said, let's go ahead and start with the general insights. Number one, communist organizations and individuals have always and will continue to get stuff wrong. And one of the most important practices I think Maoists in the U.S. should be developing today is the ability to identify, assess, and correct mistaken ideas and practices. No one, my friends, is above criticism and the need for constant study of general theory, of particular conditions, of the composition or makeup of a class or section of a class, of the relationship between classes, of the ideas of different sections of each class, of past practice, of other organizations' ideas and practice, right? All of which is constantly changing. Mao himself, had a lot of mistaken ideas and practices throughout his lifetime, just like I have and you have. But the difference between people like Mao and many would-be communists today, or between effective and ineffective communist organizations today, lies not in their likelihood of getting things right or wrong, but rather in their being able to identify, assess, and correct 
mistakes. If you are presently running with people who cannot, for the love of God, identify past errors in their past and their masked work, um, methods of work, experimentation, relations to revisionist organizations or non-Marxist groups, or the internal culture of their own organization, then you should probably ditch them because the dogmatist's unwillingness, perhaps inability, to critically and humbly sum up practice has suffocated the Maoist movement here in the imperial core. And this dogmatism can be both rightist and ultra-leftist. So let's embrace failure and militantly assess and correct mistaken ideas. Number two, this text is a great example of what it means to place our struggle on a scientific basis by struggling over the ideas, practices, and attitudes of people within the army and the party. This whole text is simply Mao saying, number one, here is a concrete list of errors. Number two, there, these are the sources of these errors. And three, here are suggested methods for correction. Our wrong ideas that every individual and organization is bound to have will manifest in wrong practice. And wrong practice fails to make communist revolution and develop the masses' historical struggle to end exploitation and oppression. This isn't some kind of moralistic approach that says, you got something right or wrong and so you're a good or bad person. It's a scientific approach which says, this is what we've been doing or thinking. These are the sources of these errors in thinking and practice. And these are some suggested methods for correcting the mistakes and thus advancing our struggle. Number three. I also thought Mao's, you know, error source method of correction outline to be a potentially helpful organizing tool. Clearly, Mao sees benefit in approaching the, uh, his comrades in this manner, and we will benefit from criticizing in this manner as well, but perhaps this might be a helpful education method amongst the masses too. Throughout an organizing struggle, or perhaps during an educational event, or maybe even when uh, engaging the intermediate or advanced toward a higher, more revolutionary line, Clearly identifying the errors of liberal or rightist or ultra-left political struggle and thinking, assessing the sources of those errors, and then suggesting an alternative method of correcting those errors and addressing the problems of concern seems to me like a nice little organizing tool I'm going to bring to my comrades and experiment with. As many of you know, the Maoist movement in the U.S. suffers from a great lack of, of experience. Which means a lot of our comrades have little to no experience organizing or even dialoguing with people. But I could envision my comrades and I using this error source method of correction bit. And maybe uh, it could help, you know, the more timid and less confident comrades among us have a concrete outline to follow through with when talking with strangers and such. I don't know. Just I felt like it was really interesting. Might be helpful for you all. Number four, another takeaway for me is that many of the particular errors Mao identifies here comes from a failure or resistance to keeping politics in command. And when this came to mind, I thought of three areas we ought to keep politics in command. Number one, when we participate in united front work. 
Number two, when we criticize comrades and self-criticize. And number three, when we do the week-to-week administrative work. If we fail to keep politics in command during United Front work, we can make a rightist error and, on one hand, end up liquidating the revolutionary project into a populist, reformist, and eclectic struggle, or, on the other hand, make a left error and end up becoming adventurous and alienating ourselves from the masses without even knowing it, or worse, thinking we're above and doing something for the masses as manifested in a commandist line. If we fail to keep politics in command when criticizing comrades, we could end up opportunistically attacking or reacting to personal attacks and distracting the organization from the political goal and tasks at hand. Or when failing to keep politics in command when self-criticizing, we could also turn self-criticism into individual moral posturing or political performance as opposed to critiquing and self-critiquing for its original and primary purpose, strengthening the organization and advancing the struggle. And finally, if we fail to keep politics in command when doing week-to-week administrative tasks, we could lean towards bureaucratic organization and work as opposed to developing revolutionary work. Number five. This text reveals something about Mao's approach to handling non-antagonistic contradictions and his understanding of the relationship between the objective and subjective. We have to educate, educate, educate. Mao clearly is an educator himself, but he sees the revolutionary organization as also a vehicle for education. Instead of using the gun or expulsions to solve all non-antagonistic contradictions, we need to guard ourselves against wrong methods of correction. There, of course, will be times, determined by conditions, that necessitate expulsions and perhaps even stopping counter-revolutionary forces that arise from within the party with coercion. But here, Mao is saying, look, here are all these problems we are facing. Here are their sources. And one of the main solutions is to be found in the heightening and expansion of our education. We'll say more about this later. And for our sixth and final general point, I wanted to remind the listener that a genuine Maoist needs to be humble. Arrogance is a terrible personal attribute produced by our class struggle, but in a revolutionary organization, it really does hinder our long-term goals of making revolution and transitioning through socialism. Arrogant people won't link up with the masses like we need to or be able to correctly identify, assess, and correct our mistakes. It will be the humble that ends up successfully providing the leadership our struggle needs. Something for us to think about and cultivate both personally and within our working groups. All right, so... That wraps up my list of general insights. Now, let's move to the particular issues identified by Mao that I thought also speak to our particular situation here in the U.S. And I picked four of the eight. So again, none of these episodes are meant to replace the reading, but are really meant to get you to read and discuss these texts with comrades. All right. Uh, The first particular problem identified by Mao that I wanted to touch on is ultra-democracy. 
Ultra-democracy is a petit bourgeois practice that I think is perhaps at its height in postmodern ideology. It's this far-rightist error of hyper-individualism that conflates freedom with individual choice. And I think I personally will have a lot of work to do to struggle over and oust my internalized ultra-democratic ideology embedded within me from my existing in progressive and liberal spaces. But ultra-democracy contradicts democratic centralism, and in doing so, greatly undermines the strength and unity of an organization, and thus its ability to lead the masses in a revolutionary struggle. The second particular problem, identified by Mao, that I like to touch on, is not unrelated. The disregard of organizational discipline. Again, democratic centralism, without the centralism, is wishful thinking. The minority must submit to the majority's decision, even if the majority may be wrong. And when a decision is made, then that decision must be carried out effectively. But an example of disregard for organizational discipline would be when an, indiv uh, an individual or small group uh, you know, of minority opinion on a subject doesn't get their way and so they do not carry out the work or half-ass their assigned tasks or even completely fail to carry out the decision at all. That shit is a disregard for organizational discipline and undermines the unity and strength of the organization. And you can continue to revisit the idea or practice that the majority has decided upon, but when you refuse to carry out a decision that has been developed through democratic centralism, you can't just cry authoritarianism and reject the policies or line. You have to struggle to show the incorrectness or correctness of the decision but that means you fully put into practice the decision, correct or not. This kind of organizational discipline is essential for developing a strong organization, and it's through unity, struggle, unity, and criticism and self-criticism that we can debate and discuss our way through our mistaken ideas and practices, not sabotaging work because you didn't get your way. And to be clear, I don't think I have to say this, but I mean, it's also important to say that democratic centralism isn't all centralism, no democracy. Democratic centralism assumes an incredible and intense level of participation. And so it's really important that we do the hard work of studying what democratic centralism is and differentiating itself from ultra-democracy um, on one hand, or on the other hand, bureaucratism. Okay. Two more here. On subjectivism. The section on subjectivism I thought was also pertinent for our struggle in the U.S. Subjective analysis is not the same as concrete analysis of concrete conditions. And so we should really strive to develop more concrete analysis and root out the practice of subjective analysis. But this also applies to our criticism. When we make a criticism of another comrade, um, are we being objective and concrete, or are we being subjective and personal? The main task of criticism is to point out political and organizational tasks. So, first, if you haven't formalized criticism and self-criticism in your organization, I would recommend doing so. And second, 
when criticism is made, is it objective or subjective? Is it done to point out political and organizational tasks? Or does the dispute between two individuals need to be handled elsewhere? Uh, the, the great text I really enjoyed on this was uh, Criticism, con uh, Constructive Handbook, or something like that. Like, constructive Criticism, a handbook. I think that's what it's called. I will link that in the show notes. And finally, the fourth particular issue I wanted to name, again, there are eight in the text, is the error of individualism. Individualism overlaps with some of the other problems, obviously. But I found it interesting that Mao relates individualism to what he calls an employee mentality, manifested when a person serves an individual superior as opposed to being a maker of revolution. And while this might not immediately be an issue for us, uh, given our low, low level of organization, perhaps we can reflect on ways that either we or others have individually buddied up with one person or another and simply tends to follow along and agree with an individual, as opposed to critically engaging the text being studied or the line being struggled over. I know I personally have a lot of work to do to overcome my individualist habits and thinking, but I'm confident these errors can be overcome through organizational experience and criticism. All right, one thing I did think was worth mentioning pertaining to these particular problems identified by Mao was that the two main sources of all of these problems were believed to be, number one, in the present composition of the organization, and two, in the failure on the part of the party to educate the members efficiently and correctly. And the main methods of correction were education on the errors and their sources, education on the objective and purpose of criticism within the organization, increased participation amongst the members, and prioritization of political and organizational tasks over personal conflicts. All of these, which I think really can, if critically reflected upon, develop our practice and thinking today in the U.S., and so, if I can sum up this reflection, I'll say three things. Number one, let's use the science, friends. Revolutionaries are scientists. Be humble and develop the practice of summing up experience, including our mistaken ideas. Number two, keep politics in command. Both when we're doing the tasky administrative week-to-week -week work and in our mass work. Especially during criticism and self-criticism. Let's create organizational cultures where politics, not personalities, are in command. And finally, for the third sum-up point, let's address non-antagonistic contradictions with education, debate, discussion, and principled ideological struggle. We need to develop consciousness, not impose it. All right, and that wraps up my reflection on mistaken ideas in the party, uh, Mao's contribution to the resolution of the <laughs> Ninth Party Congress of the Fourth Army of the Red Army. All right, with that said, thanks for the present and past Patreon supporters for funding this podcast. I'm a full-time worker and parent of a toddler, 
So your contributions keep me from having to pick up extra shifts, which enables me to do other work and also on top of it, this kind of content for folks. And so I, of course, deeply, deeply appreciate it. Um, also, if you haven't yet, but find the show to be interesting, send a link to a comrade. And as always, hit me up with thoughts, critiques, questions. I am learning along with you. All right, so I don't know what's going to be next or when it will be out. I'm on no particular schedule with this podcast, but I promise you we will talk soon. Peace, my friends.